It's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Medler, lovely cushion header for Gerard! Oh, The Ghost Goal Podcast. Very, very excited for another interview edition of the Ghost Goal Podcast. As always, I'm Andrew Passaro. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Passaro. This has been a long time coming, an official recurring guest on the podcast. And apologies to my man David Mossy for not making this happen sooner. That one was on me, but there's no better time to have the Statman Mossy on the podcast then after he comes back from a trip to England when he went to four different stadiums so I'm excited to welcome on David Mossy at Statman Mossy on Twitter um, a co-host on the Alexi Lala State of the Union podcast and a writer over at Fox in the uh, in their soccer stuff so Mossy welcome back to the podcast how are things I am good. Yeah, I, w- I was bumped twice from your podcast, which frankly had me kind of reevaluating my career and my life. But uh, it is good to finally be on again with you. And that, like I said, that's more on me because um, I'll say this now. I get very nervous texting you guys because like you guys still work in the soccer world and I'm trying to like fit this in between all the like eight other billion things that I'm, I'm doing right now. So like I get nervous that it's like, do I still really know what's going on? Because I really, really know what's going on with Liverpool, but I'm not reading all the articles and the minutia like I used to. So it's like you guys intimidate me a little bit, just, just a little, but I'm glad you're back. Let's start with the trip to the UK. I know you went to Anfield. I know you went to the Emirates and I know or not yes the Emirates and I know you went to Goodison what what was break down this little trip that you you just came back from yeah no it was a lot of fun when Fox lost the rights to the Champions League and Europa League we were obviously very disappointed but uh we decided then and there let's uh the silver lining of it is let's uh plan a trip over there to go see some games and Keith Costigan more or less led the way and he's obviously a big Liverpool fan and I had never been to Anfield so Anfield was kind of the jumping off point of the trip when the draw came out, we circled Napoli, match day six. And then we kind of looked at what other games were going on that week that we could uh, tack on to the trip. So it ended up being uh, two nights in Liverpool. We went to Everton Watford at Goodison Park on Monday. Then Liverpool Napoli at Anfield on Tuesday. Then we ventured to Manchester and caught Manchester City Hoffenheim on Wednesday. And finally, we ended up in London on Thursday. We went to Arsenal Carabag at the Emirates in the Europa League. Honestly, I think if I did that trip, I just want someone to kill me because I don't think I'd ever be happier after those four days. But that's that's me. Uh, what was the what was the best stadium of the bunch? You don't have to say Anfield. I promise I won't hang up the phone if you do. Well, it was an interesting contrast because you had two uh, in Goodison and Anfield that are sort of uh, old school with that charm and the history. And then you had two in uh, the Etihad and the Emirates that are newer, kind of state of the art, beautiful. Um but I have to say, Anfield was my favorite. Um, you know, all the stuff people talk about, European nights there. I mean, it's true. The electricity in the air. Um, it, it was just an incredible experience. I have to say it was bucket list stuff to go to a big game at Anfield. So uh, that stood out. Uh, they were all great in their own way, but uh, that definitely stood out as the highlight of the trip. And you definitely caught Anfield on a big night. Obviously, the game against Napoli, which was uh, they had to win by a certain goal differential to advance into the Champions League. 
which they did, had a great performance, a lot of Brazilian players on display. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring my man back on the pod was I started writing down a number of Brazilian players playing in the Premier League. It's got to be more than there's ever been in the past. Week in, week out. You know, we we talked we talked about this in radio programs we worked on in the past. Like I know Barcelona and Real Madrid are both sides that you typically like to enjoy watching on the weekends because there's a lot of players from Brazil there. But if there's one player in the Premier League of Brazilian you know origin that you were like, I have to watch this guy, who would it be right now? Well, first off, let me say th- this is a change because. Um... When I was growing up, uh, there were very few Brazilians in England. They used to always gravitate to Italy or Spain. That was perceived to be a more uh, smoother transition culturally to go there, uh, also in terms of style of play. Uh, But that's all gone out the window now. I think they're just as comfortable going to England. Obviously, the money and the prestige is there. So, And it's exciting. I love the fact that we could even sit here and do a segment on Brazilians in the Premier League because not long ago, there were only a few, and they were all like Gilberto Silva types. Now there's actually like attacking flair players um, going to England. And, and that's where I'm going to start. My favorite Brazilian in the Premier League is Felipe Anderson, who plays for West Ham. Uh, I absolutely love this guy. I always have. I followed him at Lazio. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think the English media has really overplayed this notion that he got off to a slow start this season. His performances against Arsenal at the Emirates and against Ever- Everton at Goodison Park early in the season were two of the best performances I've seen from any player in the Premier League this season. But early on, West Ham weren't winning. He wasn't scoring goals. So there was sort of this narrative that he was struggling to adapt. And now he's gone on the tear. He's scoring lots of goals. So everybody's coming around and talking about a great player he is. But I worry that it's uh, been a bit too much driven by the goals because he's not a goal scorer. So uh, this run he's on now is going to dry up. But I hope that doesn't mean that people go back to talking about him struggling because to me, he's just an incredible talent. He's kind of out of place there, frankly. He's kind of a flair luxury player on a mid-table team that's going to have to scrap and claw for everything. So it's not the most natural fit for him at West Ham, but still, he's so talented that he's risen above it and, and been fantastic. So I love watching him. I'm a big, big fan of his. That's a that's a unique one. I, I had a I had a gut feeling you're going to go with Gabriel Jesus, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to a question from one of my other co-hosts who couldn't be on today. Um, both of them submitted a couple questions about some guys that they wanted to, to wanted your response on, and that's one. It's a player I even like watching, and he plays for arguably Liverpool's top two rival, and that's Richarlison, who has gotten some call ups for the Brazilian national team. Um, do you think Richarlison should be playing for the national team? Do you think he is going to be like the next big Brazilian name in the Premier League that kind of gravitates a lot of people to start going and picking up his jersey and in a similar way that Coutinho was doing a couple years ago? Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of his. I actually uh, defended the fee that Everton spent this past summer. I know there was a huge uproar in England about it, but I mean, my feeling was you're getting a, a young guy with so much upside, so I don't mind spending big for somebody like that. Uh, it's, you know, the big transfers for guys that are just sort of ordinary players that are at an age where they're not going to get any better. Those are the ones that that uh, are the head scratchers for me. I don't mind spending big on a 20 year old Brazilian international who's at least showed flashes early on last season with Watford of being able to be an impact player in the Premier League. So uh, and it's worked out so far. Yeah, he's been the big winner for Brazil in this cycle. He wasn't even in the first list for friendlies against the U.S. and El Salvador. He was like a last minute injury replacement for this guy, Pedro, who got hurt. And then he stepped in and, and played well. He scored two goals against El Salvador. And now he's become a fixture. And a lot of people think he should be starting. The one question mark is, um, is he better out on the wing or is he better as a center forward? I tend to think he's better out wide. I know because of Cenk Tosin's struggles and Everton's lack of a 
dependable goal scorer up there. He's kind of been using that role. And listen, it's a trade-off. If you play him there, you get him closer to goal. He, he might score more goals. He gets those poacher opportunities. But still, to me, you're taking your most creative player and, and, and making him so much less involved in the game. The match I went to against uh, Watford, he scored early on, a nice finish, but then like barely touched the ball the rest of the game and looked really uncomfortable up there. I don't think he's that great with his back to the goal. So uh, I prefer to see him uh, out wide and making these diagonal runs into the box rather than playing as that target man up front. So that's something they have to figure out, Everton, moving forward. I think they, they'd be better suited signing a center forward and moving Richarlison back to the wing. Um, and same thing with the national team, too. Actually, he has a better path to starting with the national team at center forward because uh, Brazil has so many options uh, in those playmaking positions. But still, I just, I just don't think in the long run that's where he's best suited to play. I mean, you're talking about that center forward position. There's 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 a lot of guys between both Liverpool and Manchester City who are both competing. They're competing for the title right now, but they're also competing for starting spots in the Brazil national team. You've got Aderson versus Allison in net. You've got Fabinho versus Fernandinho in defensive midfield. You've got Roberto Firmino against Gabriel Jesus um, for that starting striker position, and we've seen Jesus take more of a role in that. Um, but but I want to focus a little bit on that defensive midfield position because that's where my next question went. That, that previous question was from Javier. This next one's from Alex, and it's talking about the base of Brazil's midfield. You've got a ton of, of guys right there that can play in that position. Like I said, Fabinho from Liverpool, Fernandinho from Manchester City, but also the big one is Casemiro from, uh, from Real Madrid. Which of those three defensive midfield guys, I know we're kind of talking Brazil national team and not EPL here, but of those three, which do you kind of prefer? I know that there were some people who criticized Fernandinho for not being able to live up to that role when he was uh, when Casemiro was suspended in the World Cup against Brazil. Yeah, Fernandinho had a, a dreadful game against Belgium. Um, he kind of bore the brunt of that loss. And actually, he was terrible in the 7-1 against Germany. So World Cups have not uh, been kind to him. Um yeah, and, and he hasn't been called up yet. Actually, Chichi's called up a lot of players from the World Cup uh, in this cycle. He's big on this notion that Brazil don't need to rebuild it. He wants continuity. So uh, he's been calling experienced squads and the Paulinhos and Renato Augustos and guys in their 30s have been in there. But Fernandinho hasn't been called up yet, which I find interesting. Uh, listen, Casemiro is a starter there. It's going to be very hard to dislodge him. The interesting thing with Fabinho is that um, Chichi never called him up um, in the lead up to the 2018 World Cup. And I was really puzzled by that because he played so well at Monaco. And the explanation was that um, the way Brazil played, he would have had to be like a pivot player in a midfield three. And Chichi felt like he was better suited to play in like a double six. And I always kind of rolled my eyes at that and thought, oh, I think you're overanalyzing. I think he would do just fine in that system. And actually, I was surprised when he got to Liverpool that Klopp seemed to feel the same way. And it's the reason he struggled to get on the field the first few months of the season. So there actually is something to it, I guess. Um, you know, I, I was surprised, frankly. I know there are signings at Liverpool that need some time to learn Klopp's system, but then there are others that seem to be able to hit the ground running. I thought Fabinho was going to be the latter. I thought he could step in right away and play well, and that wasn't the case. I'm glad it's finally happening for him now, and he's emerging, and he played so well against United that everybody seems to be a fan of his now. But yeah, I mean, that, that whole issue of playing either in a, a, a midfield three or, or a double six seems to be something that, with both Liverpool and Brazil, I, see, I think could impair him from becoming like a regular starter and really having quite the impact that he's capable of. But yeah, I mean, he, Chichi's been calling him up this cycle as a right back because Brazil are very short on options there. And it's obviously a position he played early in his career, but I don't like that. I think he needs to be, like you mentioned, in that midfield mix battling with Fernandinho to, or whoever else to, to perhaps be the backup to Casemiro. To me, that that's where he's better suited to play. So I hope he enters that mix. Who do you prefer for uh, in, in net, Allison or Aderson? 
Uh, listen, I think they're about equal, but Ali Sun is the incumbent. He's done nothing wrong to lose his job, so I'm fine with him staying the one for now and Ederson staying the two. Uh, I think, honestly, they're about equal. I think they're the second and third best goalkeepers in the Premier League behind De Gea, however you want to rank the two. But like I said, Ali Sun's been the starter for the last couple of years. He did fine at the World Cup. None of the goals we conceded were his fault, so I don't see any reason to change. Had a big save in that Napoli game that you were in attendance for, which... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's... Well, it's funny. He, he really experienced the highs and lows because, uh, I mean, I was there. That whole stadium was chanting his name, and he was the big hero, and Klopp afterwards said, if I knew he was this good, I would have paid double, and there were all sorts of articles written about uh, how he's better than De Gea now and he's the best goalkeeper in the world. I mean, even leaving that stadium and talking to Liverpool fans, they were all gushing about him. And then a few days later against United, he commits a terrible mistake and all of a sudden people are criticizing him again. So, But I, I think overall he's been phenomenal this season. To me, there, there's no goalkeeper in world football that's elevated his reputation more in the last 12 months than Alisson. If I had asked most people in January of 2018 about Alisson, they would have you know, not been that familiar with him. And then what he did with Roma... And then getting that big fee and, and, and somehow living up to it so far this season and the impact he's had for Liverpool. So, yeah, no, it's overall been very positive first few months for him in England. I'm I'm really happy the Internet trolls haven't gotten him because there there's a statistic out there that he's officially made the same amount of mistakes in the Premier League that Mignolite and Carius made for Liverpool last year. But the same people who are like tweeting that out during the United game are the same people like being like, oh, Allison was worth every penny for Liverpool. So there, there's just like... It, it, this is a, a reactionary league, just like every other league is. But people love to come after the goalkeepers with Liverpool, and I'm I'm really happy to see him. Just I, there's no doubt in my mind, and I've never had this as a Liverpool fan, so it's been fantastic. I want to take a quick gander into the Champions League real quick. I want to know who your favorite is with the remaining of the tournament. Obviously, down to the last sixteen, but I also got to take a shot at your man. I'm really sick of Neymar, dude. Like the dives have been ridiculous his just attitude when I've watched him in the Champions League has been I, I generally I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I used to like watching him week in and week out and now I kind of hate him and I root against him yeah it's interesting uh, at the start of this season he actually did make a concerted effort um, to cut out the diving and the theatrics and he became strangely subdued and, and passive as a player and if you want evidence of that go back and watch the match day one game between Liverpool and PSG at Anfield and I, I kind of joked on my podcast that I missed diving Neymar because for whatever reason, he kind of needs that, that tension, that negativity that his, his theatrics uh, create. He kind of feeds off that and he plays with more of a snarl in his game. And I think he recognized that a couple of months ago and decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to being me and whether people like it or not tough. And so now he's back to this player where you have to take the good and the bad. And he's, he's brilliant. He showed that in that Liverpool game. He scored a nice goal in the first half. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, but you also, yeah, I mean, it, there's no question he, he can be very irritating with the, with the diving and the theatrics and rolling around the ground. So, yeah, I mean, we Brazilians think it, too. It's not like a thing where we're kind of sitting here in a bubble and trying to, you know, ignore it. I mean, it's 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 a big issue. You know, I guess it depends. I guess it's sort of a cultural question of whether you think the good outweighs the bad or the bad outweighs the good. You know, if you if you talk to people in Brazil and Argentina and in Spain and Italy and places like that, they, they, it, the good outweighs the bad. It, it's, it's something, it's an aspect of his game you don't like. You wish you would cut it out. It detracts from your opinion of him. But at the end of the day, you can still sort of appreciate what a great player he is and focus more on that. Well, on the other hand, a country like England or here in the United States, I think where people are, have a bigger issue with this whole take of diving and theatrics, it's completely like enveloped his reputation. I mean, nobody can even appreciate what a great player he is anymore. If you mention Neymar, they, they go straight to that and, and and so, like you said, you know, it, it, he's becomes a player that they don't like watching. My dad was actually that uh, Liverpool 
PSG game. He was in Toronto and he went to a, a sports bar to watch and it was all Liverpool fans. And he was like shocked at how much they hated Neymar. And he said it was just like two hours of every Liverpool fan at the bar just cursing him out. And it, as a Brazilian, it kind of made him uncomfortable. <laughs> but yeah, no, it really it really has kind of reached that level for sure. I mean, everything you just said reminds me of me being a fan of Luis Suarez, where it's like, if it's your guy, you're, you're like, yeah, I'm going to defend my guy, but everybody else kind of hates him. And but at the same time, they put up those ridiculous goal numbers and they make those moments of magic. That's like, as a fan, you don't care. So it's like, I, I get, I get where you're coming from. I want to wrap. Well, this- let me ask you this: if uh, if he scores the winning goal for PSG against United to knock United out of the Champions League, will that? Uh, can he find a place in your heart again by doing that? Uh definitely. Yes, uh, confirmed. He will. Uh, he will definitely find a place in my heart if he can knock uh, Ole Gunnar Solisar's. Uh, <laughs> uh, Manchester United out of the Champions League. That would make me very happy. Uh, I want to wrap this up because I know you're busy, man. Um, last question, and this is something I'm trying to keep a trending on the Go School interviews. I want to take things out of soccer. Um, we once famously did 45 minutes on a former program on Sirius XMFC known as When All the Talks Football, uh, talking about Queen and Wu-Tang Clan. Um, and in my time in my life right now, I'm listening to a lot more Wu-Tang Clan than I am Queen. Um, in fact, so much that the most listened to song on my Spotify this year was Liquid Swords by Jizza. So, and my buddy bought me that entire album on vinyl for Christmas. So, um, what is your favorite non-Wu-Tang album made by a member of Wu-Tang Clan? And if it's Liquid Swords, give me another one because I need a new one to check out for early 2019. Yeah, for me, it's a jump ball between Liquid Swords and Cuban Links, uh, Raekwon's first album, which is almost like a co him and ghostface killer ghostface appears so much on it but yeah i would definitely check that out you would not be disappointed yeah i mean the, the underrated thing about wu-tang is obviously you had their phenomenal debut album 36 chambers but then that first wave of solo albums they all put out they were all incredible so i mean for a couple of years there they dominated the game i know our mutual friend david amoyal is a big big fan of theirs too and yeah i, I think if you enjoyed liquid stores i would definitely check out uh cuban links raekwon uh you will not be disappointed yeah, okay, I'll put it. I'll put it on the list. Uh, you can follow Mossy on Twitter at Statman Mossy. Great follow. Always puts out some good stuff. Oh, one quick question. You've got you've got the World Cup coming up this summer again, correct? Uh, correct. Looking forward to it. I will be uh, in Paris for five weeks next summer. It is my favorite city in the world. I can't wait. The Women's World Cup. The U.S. Women looking to defend the crown they won in 2015. I was in Canada for that one, and and looking forward to covering that competition again any young uh any youngsters we should be keeping an eye out somebody that you can uh get my listeners uh, ahead of the curve on i mean there's a lot of buzz that this could be one of the best u.s teams ever and they, yeah they do have young players like mallory Pugh and rose lavelle who are phenomenal who have been added to this mix with alex morgan and, and carly lloyd so uh yeah no it's going to be an exciting u.s team for sure Awesome. Looking forward to it. Once again, follow him on Twitter at Statman Mossy and check out Alexi Lawless's State of the Union podcast, which he's featured on. You can listen to that podcast after you listen to Ghost Goal. Trust me, they're 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 a great job. I listen to them on a regular basis. Um, so Mossy, thank you so much for the time. Happy holidays and uh, enjoy the football, my man. Uh, same to you. Thanks for having me.